Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast coming to you virtually from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Greg Heilman. And I'm Matt Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K. Today is July 23rd, and welcome to episode 38. We're excited to be joined in a few minutes by Carrie Bible, tour guide at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery and host of Hollywood Kitchen. But first, we wanted to catch our local listeners up on this weekend's stage and screen happenings. This weekend is your last chance to catch Western Washington Center for the Arts presentation of A Perfect Match, an evening of short comedies. Tickets are just $10 and by donation for Sunday matinees. Visit www.ca.us for tickets, and thanks for supporting local theater here in Kitsap County. Definitely go see A Perfect Match. Just go tonight, or Sunday, because Saturday the 24th, Star Wars returns to the historic Roxy Theater in Bremerton. That's right, Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope, premiered at the Roxy in 1977 and returns as part of their Movies of the Decade series. Now you can see Luke and Solo, Princess Leia, R2-D2, and Chewie on the big screen as George Lucas intended. We hit the stage at 6.30 to kick things off, and Jeremy Arnold will join us virtually for his astute and entertaining intro. Get your tickets now at roxybremerton.org forward slash showtimes. Again, that's roxybremerton.org forward slash showtimes. And check out our special edition of In the Mix, dedicated to Star Wars and direct from the Roxy. We mixed up two delicious non-alcoholic drinks this week for the special occasion, both of which will be served at the event. And of course, we talked Star Wars memories and trivia. So don't miss it. You can find In the Mix videos on our Facebook page and YouTube channel, all linked in the show notes. And now we're pleased to welcome to the show special guest Carrie Bible. Carrie, born a heterochromatic baby, put down the medical reference book, it means she's got two different colored eyes, with the last name Bible on Halloween night, Carrie was destined to be nothing if not unique. Her passion for history and Hollywood's past led her to starting a cemetery tour in 2002 under the guidance of historian Mark Wanamaker. Carrie has lectured at the Old Town Music Hall, the Queen Mary, the Homestead Museum, and is also a lady in black to honor silent film star Rudolph Valentino. Plus, she created the website and e-newsletter FilmRadar.com about specialty film events in Los Angeles. Carrie has appeared in segments for Turner Classic Movies, CNN, History Channel, and Travel Channel. She co-authored the book Location Filming in Los Angeles with historians Mark Wanamaker and Harry Medved and co-authored Hollywood Celebrates the Holidays with Mary Mallory. A vintage lifestyle devotee, she lives in a 1920s apartment and collects clothing from the 1920s to the 1950s. Carrie is also the host of Hollywood Kitchen, where she makes the recipes of stars from Hollywood's golden age, all the while interviewing historians, authors, and her fellow film lovers. She joins us from her home in Los Angeles for part one of our interview. Carrie, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So Carrie, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us again. And so I've been following you on social media since we lined you up as as a guest. And uh, looking at your social media feeds and the things that um, you've been posting, you're obviously a big, big fan of classic films and cl- and the golden age of Hollywood, as are we. How did this love of, of the classics come about? Was there a specific event or is just something that kind of happened organically as you were growing up? When I was about six years old, around the time of my birthday, I happened to see the horror matinee on Sunday afternoon and I saw Bela Lugosi and Dracula and it absolutely enthralled me and I remember thinking I want that and I didn't know what that meant per se but I remember just being absolutely terrified and thrilled 
and just enchant all these feelings at once. And every Sunday afternoon around, I think about one o'clock ish, they'd show an old horror film. So if I did my homework and didn't fight with my brother and behaved myself all week, I'd get to see Frankenstein, the Wolfman, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula, you know, and those, like a lot of people out there, the universal horror classics were my, my gateway drug into movies. And of course that led me into so many other things. We had a similar thing, I think, uh, except it was on Saturdays and it was called Creature Double Feature. And that's when we had all the Godzilla films and and then they had the Ultraman television show and all those things. So I understand exactly what you mean when you, when you see some of these. I don't know what it is about those that just kind of rope you rope you in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just fell in love with that. And I always say on the tour, you know, I didn't like Barbie dolls. I liked Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff. Like, that's what I liked as a little girl. And God bless my parents. They did not think I was insane. In fact, they were like, okay, if that's what you like, we'll take you to the library and we'll get you books on Dracula and Frankenstein. And so they they wholeheartedly encouraged my my weirdness. Awesome. Well, we're involved up here in the Bremerton area uh, with the historic Roxy Theater, uh, Carrie, and uh, they've got a special program going right now called Movies of the Decade, uh, showing a lot of old films that most of us have never had a chance to see on the big screen. Things like uh, Jaws, uh, going all the way back to uh, Citizen Kane. We've got the first actually fourth Star Wars coming up this uh, this weekend. What's it like in your area, down in the L.A. area, for lovers of uh, classic films? Are there certain theaters that specialize in showing any of those old films? Are there uh, regular types of events for, for lovers of the classics? Oh, gosh, yeah. I, I feel spoiled rotten down here. It's like a kid in a candy store when I first moved to Los Angeles because you've got, well, right now it's obviously changed a lot because of the pandemic and a lot of other things, but... You've got the Egyptian Theater, the Arrow Theater, the New Beverly Theater. You've got the Old Town Music Hall, the Legion in Hollywood, the Arena Cinemas. I mean, I could go on and on, but there are tons of theaters out here. Of course, the Academy that show classic movies, and that's what they're dedicated to doing. So I feel very, very fortunate that I have those opportunities. How have those theaters fared uh, with COVID and everything? Have have they... Um... Is there a lot of support still? Yeah, it's it's tricky. I mean, our beloved Cinerama Dome closed on Sunset Boulevard, and that was harsh. That was a blow to cinephiles in L.A. here. I mean, the last film I saw there was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I saw it opening morning in the Cinerama Dome, filled with Angelinos that love movies. And <laughs> The way Tarantino would have wanted it seen, I think. Yeah, and to drive by it and see it boarded up with plywood. I just started, the first time I saw that, I just sat in my car and cried. I was just like, oh my mm. gosh. Um, and the Egyptian was purchased by Netflix right before the pandemic, and they're not going to open for at least another year. The Vista, I think, is under renovations and Tarantino just bought it. There's a lot of change going on, but that doesn't mean there still isn't the cinema of the Legion Theater in Hollywood. They got the funding to have 35 millimeter film in their drive-in and they have a state-of-the-art 90-year-old theater inside their building that also runs film. And they're fantastic. I was just there last weekend. I'm on the board of Retro Format. It's an organization We're dedicated to preserving the experience of silent film and live music. So just last weekend, we did a screening of Safety Last with Harold Lloyd at the uh, Legion Theater. And we had his granddaughter there and everything like that. So um, they they show classics all the time, both indoors and outdoors at the Legion. Yeah, it's definitely inspirational to see those sorts of things still going on. Uh, One thing, though, going back to your comment about 
Netflix purchasing one of the the cinemas and and Tarantino. Matt and I have been kind of following this from from the time we started our podcast in in September last September about the overturning of U.S. versus Paramount and the fact that there's no real hindrance for studios to now uh, once again own the entire distribution chain. Given that you know Netflix can now have a theater, uh, well, Disney's already got El Capitan. There's nothing holding Amazon back from maybe purchasing one of these theaters as well. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few years to see if that landscape changes. As long as we still have outlets for these classic films, though, um, I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that is going to remain, especially in Los Angeles. I mean, I don't I can't speak to maybe other cities, but I feel incredibly grateful and fortunate for what we have here for sure. So we still look at Hollywood as this epicenter for filmmaking and kind of along the lines of what we were just talking about with how things might be changing. Filmmaking is becoming more distributed and virtual. Do you still see Southern California still being that epicenter for current filmmaking, or do you think it might become more of a museum for classic films? Well, it's, it's sort of both. I mean, we have productions here all the time. So I don't think that's going away. I think it's still going to be the epicenter of the film industry and where things are done technically. And also about it being a museum. Yes and no. I mean, we have the big Academy museum that's opening later this fall. That's a very big deal. And it's kind of tricky because Los Angeles has kind of often destroyed a lot of its own history. And for people that love it, like myself, that can be a challenge to kind of try to preserve it, convince people to care about it. But there is a lot here. You know, sometimes I get people saying, oh, there's no history. And I say, no, there is. You have to know where to find it. But I promise it's here. So, you know, I do my best to try to keep history alive. Plenty of my friends and colleagues do as well. So there, there is plenty of history here. There, you know, I meet plenty of young people that love old Hollywood because I I hear a lot of historians that are older than me say, oh, young people don't care about this stuff. And I tell them, I say, that is not my experience because I meet plenty who do. And I'm so grateful, you know, and I I try to be supportive and encouraging to them because they're the future and they're the people that are going to keep this going after I'm gone and my colleagues are gone. So I I get very heartened when I meet young people that have a passion for this stuff. I think so much has to do with how it's presented. Uh, You know, there's these amazing stories full of amazing, colorful people that fiction could never come up with. And it's often, you know, oh, I had that one teacher in eighth grade and they just completely turned me on to this era, you know, or that or. And that's why we like to, um, you know, invite uh, younger audiences, teens, especially to listen to the show, because they're going to get turned on to an actor, an actress, you know, uh, um, an era maybe that they didn't even know existed. And that actually leads us right into our next question. You are employed by a museum of sorts. You, without sounding too punny, you know where the bodies are buried <laughs> as a tour yeah. guide of the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. You've never heard that pun before, I'm sure. So tell yeah, us yeah. about how you how you got this position. It sounds like a lot of fun and, uh, again, uh, a way to kind of preserve that history. Well, I'm an independent contractor, so I'm not, like, on the payroll, as it were. But... Um... Well, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I had gone to Hollywood Forever for a screening that was happening there. And I looked around and I just fell so in love, as I hope everybody does who ever visits. And I just thought, this place is magical. It's incredible. I wonder if they have a tour here. I'd love to take it. I asked 
around and they didn't. And then the, the light bulb went off over my head. Well, wow, what if I did it? So I met with a historian named Mark Wanamaker and he is a friend and mentor to me. He introduced me to Tyler Cassidy who runs the cemetery. And Tyler, I told him kind of what I wanted to do. I gave him a sample of what I wanted to do. And he said, go for it. And I gave my first public tour in February of 2002. And I've been doing the tour several times a month, pretty much ever since. Do you need to have reservations to, to do a tour? Or can you just show up? Things have changed a little bit because of the pandemic. I mean, on one hand, I am extremely grateful. I was kind of able to operate during about half the pandemic because what I do is about 95% outdoors and I could do tiny groups, social distancing. I wear a voice amplification gadget, but um, now because of the pandemic, I kind of like to have a head count and I know exactly how many people are showing up, how many to expect. It just kind of makes life a little easier for me. So. I mean, I guess I'd make an exception, but I, for the most part, I really, yeah, I prefer people book online. That way I, I kind of have a little bit of a grip on, you know, how many people are coming. Well, it sounds like you might be getting a lot busier too, because we were just reading uh, LA Magazine. Uh, you were listed as one of the best of LA, your history tour, and mentioned by name as, as, as an amazing host for the tour. So congratulations. Thank you. I was very, very excited about that. I got the news this morning. So thank you. Thank you. I just, I feel grateful that I still get to do what I do and that I'm able to just, you know, share the stories of these artists and these pioneers and these incredible people at the cemetery, you know, with the public. To me, that's a, such a joy. Yeah, there are so many A-listers from the golden age of Hollywood that are laid to rest at the at the cemetery. Cecil B. DeMille, Judy Garland, Biggie Rooney. Is there anyone that's a particular favorite of yours to talk about? Valentino he's probably my my favorite yeah I'd, I'd say Valentino but I, I really have a, a big soft spot in my heart too for some of the more obscure people because a lot of them were equally talented and brilliant and, and contributed to the industry and a lot of them kind of got shunted to the side when sound came in and the Great Depression happened and a lot of people's lives were upended completely and a lot of those pioneers died broke, died forgotten. And I really, I have a big space in my heart for those people too. I see that Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney are both there and uh, obviously did plenty of pictures together. Are they buried nearby one another? No, they're actually at different ends of the cemetery. Judy, we got in 2017. When she died, she was um, married to her fifth husband. They'd only been married a month or two. And she died at 47. And he was kind of making all the decisions and he had her interred at Ferncliff Cemetery in upstate New York. But the kids decided they wanted to move her out here and they wanted to be with her someday. So she was flown out here in uh, January of 2017. And we were kind of on gag order for six months. There was black cloth over the windows and it was kind of a, a Mission Impossible top secret thing. And then June 10th of 2017, they had a private ceremony in that area for her. And that night they showed the Wizard of Oz on the back wall. And after that, the floodgates were open and I could talk about Judy. What's been really amazing is to see the reaction that people get. People walk in there on the tour. I've had people walk in and just start crying and just lose it. Or people walk in there and they start singing. And just to kind of see the incredible power her legacy and her talent still has to people is, is really remarkable. 
is the cemetery now closed to to new burials? Are there still are, oh, are, are there there are folks that are still being actively buried there? Every day, every day. We have, according to our owner, we have about 50 years of ground space at this time. And they are building new mausoleums because I think as time goes on, especially in larger cities, cremation is becoming increasingly popular. Right, yeah. So they are building new mausoleums and that's kind of becoming a trend. So yeah, there's plenty of space. It's a great place to be. This And this is going to tie into a question I'm going to ask later when we talk about one of your other endeavors, Hollywood Kitchen. So you've got X amount of years of, of space. Are we still going to see Hollywood kind of A-listers and other actors and things like that come to a cemetery like this? Or oh, yeah. is that, okay. We just got Burt Reynolds recently. Oh, really? Okay. It's still, well, it's beautiful. It's historic. It's right in the heart of Hollywood. It's there's kind of this magic to it. If you haven't been there, come visit. I'll show you around and uh, you'll see what I mean. I think people are never not going to want to be there. And I think a lot of people, ultimately, they want to be remembered. They want their lives to count. They want people to care that they were here. And I think the cemetery does such an outstanding job of, of honoring people. And it's also a very creative place. We have a guy right now who has a marble bench with metal dachshunds on it. And he, he's still alive, by the way. He had a big dachshund event the other day where people were encouraged to bring their dog and pose on his bench. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's whimsical, it's creative, it's beautiful, and it's, as its name implies, it's forever. Something that the um, LA Magazine said about you is, uh, a quote, what makes Bible's tour most unique is her remarkable ability to humanize long-faded icons and cast their scandalous lives in a new light. Could you give us an example? I mean, we're familiar with some stories like Judy Garland, uh, et cetera. I actually, believe it or not, I'm very glad you asked this question. I don't get into that on the tour, believe it or not. I feel like my job, I feel very like I have a specific job to do. And in the case of Judy, first off, her story's more or less common knowledge to people. Right. And also, she hated the narrative that her life was this tragic train wreck mess situation. Her children really hated that too. So I feel like it does not serve her and it does not serve them to stand at her final resting place and say that stuff. But what I try to talk about is the talent, the legacy, and the fact that no matter what was going on with her behind the scenes, when she got in front of that movie camera, when she stepped on that concert stage, she gave 100,000%. And that is hard to do if you were having a tough day, if something's going on in your life. So the fact that she was able to kind of overcome her pain and problems and deliver on the level she delivered is absolutely incredible. And I also talk about Jane Mansfield, Virginia Rappay, Marion Davies, all of those are women who have really been kind of given a short shrift or really been maligned, and I think unfairly so, or really been incredibly misunderstood. So one thing I try to do is also, like, for example, a few years ago, we have a cenotaph for Jane Mansfield. Her remains are in Pennsylvania, but we have a memorial marker called a cenotaph. A few years ago on my tour, I had a senior citizen group, and this older lady said, I, I met Jane, can I share my story? And I was like, oh yes, please. <laughs> and she said that she used to be a school teacher in Los Angeles in the 50s and 60s at a private school where a lot of children of the stars attended. 
And she said, anytime there's open house, PTA, whatever, the famous parents never showed up except one, and that was Jane Mansfield. And she said Jane was like really concerned about how her kids were doing in class, wanted to follow up about their homework. She'd show up to PTA. Can you imagine Jane Mansfield at PTA? But I thought that was so humanizing of her because normally when you hear a story about Jane, it's, oh, she flashed her breast. Oh, she was drunk. Oh, you know. And I don't doubt that the wild child was one part of her persona. But I always say on the tour, these people might've been sex symbols, bombshells, icons, movie stars, but they were people. And that was someone's daughter, sister, friend, and mom. So to me, hearing a firsthand from someone who saw that human side of Jane, I thought was very powerful. And it was just a reminder that, yeah, Jane was a human being too. You mentioned uh, Marion Davies. Did you have, did you see an increase in interest specifically in, in her location due to um, the new, well, not Citizen Kane film, but uh, technically uh, the movie Mank that was released? I, I know that kind of hit during quarantine, but when a, when a biopic comes out like that, do you see that interest in those individuals increase? Yeah, sometimes I do. Uh, yeah, my friend Larry Gabriel has written the definitive biography of Marion Davies. She just finished it after eight years of working on it. And that comes out next summer. So I'm so excited. I'm, I'm expecting a tsunami of Marian interest when that book comes out. Yeah, Mink also generated some interest. And yeah, I really, again, try to explain to people because often if people mention Marian, people will say, oh, she's a gold digger. She had no talent, blah, blah, blah. And that's not true. There's more to the story. And I always tell people, dig deeper. You know, there's a lot more complexity and nuance going on. And Marion was very talented. Watch the movies and I'll tell you which ones are best, you know? And she was extraordinarily philanthropic, donated millions to UCLA Children's Hospital. There's just more to people than meets the eye, you know? My uh, my first experience with Marion Davies was in The Patsy. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. Oh, God. It's a hilarious movie and she is just so natural in that. It was one of the first times, I think, especially in a silent film, when I saw somebody laugh that I actually believe she was laughing at the joke, not because she was told to laugh. I mean, it was just, it was so natural. And to your point, so a friend of ours, uh, Jeremy Arnold, has been doing oh, yeah. um, the intros for our movies as part of this whole Roxy celebration. And when he did the one for um, Citizen Kane, he referred to the uh, the Marion Davies thing and, and made sure to say that, hey, she's been kind of given the short, you know, short stick when it comes to the, the press and how she's... Uh, portrayed by a lot of people as well so i'm actually going to look forward to that book next year oh yeah i would love the daylights out of that book yeah she wasn't she wasn't susan alexander from citizen kane she was no, no. she was her own individual uh with with her own talents and, and her own challenges just like anybody else that's um those are the those are the stories the ones like uh you know we're sharing with you and and we get from jeremy arnold pull back the veneer a little bit and you know Wow, they came to PTA meetings. Amazing. You know, that kind of thing. They, they love to give money here or there. They have this kind of dog. And I think it also makes it seem a little bit more attainable for those of us who might still aspire to stardom. That, uh, you know, they're, they're regular people, but they have an incredible talent. Thanks again to our guest, Carrie Bible. Join us next week for the second half of our interview with Carrie. And you can find out more about her tours at cemeterytour.com and her show at hollywoodkitchenshow.com. And if you enjoyed our show, make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We'd love to hear from you, so please join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. 
And as always, thank you for supporting local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver.